Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer, and I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. We'll be looking today at the condemnation of unbelief and the magnificent invitation that is given by Jesus. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30 to start with. Jacob, you want to read those? Yeah. Then he began to reprimand the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorosin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that occurred in you had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You'll be brought down to Hades, for if the miracles that occurred in you had occurred in Sodom, it would have remain to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, anyone to whom the Son determines to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable, and my burden is light. Well, if you remember yesterday's program, it concluded with Jesus making a stern uh, denunciation, we can say, of that contrary, unbelieving generation. Well, now his headquarters during the Galilean ministry was Capernaum. And Jesus mentioned it and two of the suburbs, Chorazin and Bethsaida. They had witnessed so many wonderful works at the hands of Jesus. Works that if such evil ancient cities as Tyre, Sidon, and even Sodom, cities that were notorious for their idolatrous wickedness, had seen those signs, they would have repented. The unbelievers that Jesus mentioned saw and refused the evidence. They refused to repent. They would be held responsible for their deliberate refusal to believe, and their torment would be worse because they would know what they had had. They would know that they had had the opportunity and had rejected it. Now, not all of them rejected the Lord. Not all proved themselves to be unworthy. Not all of the Jews sought the pleasures of this world rather than the blessedness of heaven. Who else but God could invite the whole world? What we see in verses 28 through 30 is the love of God shown clearly in the divine love of his Son. These words were directed to all the hearts of mankind lost in sin and despair. What is offered is peace complete and total contentment and rest 
both here and in the world to come. This is a really intriguing statement because we all know that not everyone is converted whenever they see a miracle. You know, sometimes people double down in their unbelief and Jesus taught, you know, like in Luke 16, even though someone rises from the dead, they won't be persuaded. But this declaration was stated as a fact and he said they would have repented. I mean, it makes you wonder. I'm not sure I have a good answer for it. It's like, well, why didn't you? You know, if you could have brought about repentance, why didn't you perform these? And of course, only God knows that. But I think this also teaches the principle of uh, that that Jesus taught in Luke 12, which is, "To whom much is given, much will be expected." And because uh, these cities had these opportunities to see, and they still disbelieved, well, they're going to have to answer severely for that. Yeah, I think just leading into what Jesus was saying, verse 25, um, that the, who this has been um, hit, revealed to and um, the, the wisdom of God and and how who is being um, used and, and how these many things are playing out um, and Jesus praising God for that, um, I think is, is just a awesome and neat thing to point out. All right. Now we'll go back to Luke chapter 7 and pick up in verse 36 and read on down through verse 50. We're going to be looking at Simon the Pharisee, a well-known individual from biblical studies. Beginning with verse 36 of of Luke chapter 7, we read, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hairs of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, The same loves it a little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. 
And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Before we examine the events in Simon's home, there's a false idea that needs to be addressed. It is widely believed that this woman was Mary of Magdala, mentioned in chapter 8 and verse 2, as having had seven demons cast out of her. The Bible does not identify the two as being the same. Actually, it appears to give the opposite impression. There is absolutely nothing in the account that would indicate that this well-known sinful woman of Luke 7 had ever been a demonic. Also, the earliest church writers did not identify the two as being the same. The earliest assertion that they were was made by Gregory the Great in 590-604 A.D. As we've already noted, the relationship between Jesus and the leading religious parties of his time was rapidly deteriorating. There had been heated exchanges and charges leveled, but as yet the Pharisees had not publicly declared Jesus to be an enemy of the people and a blasphemer. They were watching him closely, but the indication is that some were still open and undecided in their opinion. Evidently, Simon the Pharisee was one and was still undecided. Yeah, um... Noting this Pharisee, I think the description of the woman, a woman of the city who was a sinner. We may as well read verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees who was a sinner. You know, but that's not in the text, but it's something the Pharisee seems to have have lost sight of. The woman was a sinner, but so was he. And he looks and observes this woman who... We would describe as mournful. We would describe her as poor in spirit. All of the things that Jesus praised and pronounced blessings upon. And in verse 39, it says he saw this woman. And then in verse 44, Jesus invites him to look again. I think that's kind of a, a good contrast there. He was looking and all he could see was a critical judgment to be made about the woman. But Jesus invites him to look again and really see with eyes uh, uh, of perception what, what was really to be seen here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, certainly understanding the, the death that she had and understanding um, who, who was there, um, which leads Jesus to, to, to tell the, the parable of the two, two debtors as we as we read, and that she understood that uh, who who Jesus was and the forgiveness that she needed, and um, it's I think a, a thing for us to try and not be like Simon in the way of um, of you know I think it goes back to when we talked about judging, uh, understanding that you know the way we judge others, how we will be judged, and you know we, we're sinners just. Um, just as Ross said, you know, the Pharisee was a sinner, and so was this this lady. And so I think the, the judgment aspect is important, too. I think there's an interesting facet of Middle Eastern life very well illustrated in this account. 
and that is the emphasis placed upon hospitality. At feasts, the houses were left open, and uninvited guests were free to enter into the open courtyard of the home and look in on the guest chambers. At this time, a decidedly uninvited guest entered in, one whose way of life was well known to Simon and several of the other guests. She had heard that Jesus was eating at Simon's house, and her desire to see him spurred her on. It was a bold step to enter uninvited into the home of such a rigid individual as Simon, but the knowledge that Jesus was there and the urgent need to see him gave her the courage to go. Perhaps what she had heard of Jesus indicated to her that he would not turn her away. Jesus was different, different from the religious leaders that she was accustomed to. He called the weary, the downtrodden, and the sinful to come to him. He did not turn them away. So she came, bearing with her an alabaster box of ointment with which to anoint the feet of Jesus. As her tears fell on his feet, she used her hair to wipe them away. Alabaster was a material slightly softer than marble that could be easily scooped out and used to form vessels and bottles. It was the common material used in containers that held ointments and expensive cosmetics like those worn by wealthy Roman women. The sight of this woman, her shame, penitence, tears, did not evoke feelings of compassion and sympathy in Simon. His were feelings of disgust and disapproval. There was no sympathy in his heart. It was not enough for Simon that Jesus had merely allowed this woman to kiss and anoint his feet without speaking even one word of encouragement to her as of yet. Simon thought to himself that if Jesus had really been a prophet, he would have known what manner of woman this was, and knowing he would have been repulsed by her and would have sent her on her way with contempt and indignation. While Simon did not say all of this, Jesus knew his thoughts. He proceeded to teach Simon, as well as the others, a wonderful lesson. Simon, I have something to say to thee. The parable that Jesus spoke was taken from the everyday life of the Jews. Excuse me. Lending and borrowing was an ever-present feature in the economy of the Jews. The Old Testament, particularly the book of Deuteronomy and later in the book of Proverbs, contains many clear warnings against greed and covetousness and the sin of usury. In this particular case, the two debtors were just common people and the amounts of money in question were relatively small. One was about $8 and the other would have been about $80. But both were unable to pay and both received a generous release from their debt by their creditor. Obviously, the larger sum represented the greater catalog of sins that the penitent woman acknowledged she had committed. The smaller sum represented the few transgressions that even a self-righteous Pharisee would admit to. Both were sinners before God, and both were equally unable to pay. When Jesus asked Simon which of them will love him most, 
There was a touch of indifference to the whole matter in his answer. I suppose, or I presume, that he to whom he forgave the most. To which Jesus replied, you have rightly judged. Thus the stage was set for something very similar to what Nathan said to David in Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7. Thou art the man. And you know, his, uh, his parable that he tells really gets to the heart. Not so much as to why is Jesus saying nothing to this woman as it does force him to take a closer look at himself. Uh, it, the point of contrast is why is this woman so zealous about the Lord? Um, and, of course, you know that in his application, he's going to point to the indifference, the seeming indifference of Simon as he entered into his house. You gave me no water for my feet, but uh, and you gave me no kiss. And uh, so why is all of this happening? Why is she so passionate? Well, Jesus taught that the reason for that is because she is so very grateful to him for his forgiveness. The unspoken truth, the hard truth for Simon was, you have not... Uh, you have not appreciated the the good news of forgiveness. Uh, whether he was forgiven or not, doesn't seem like he's uh, a believer in Jesus. But you, if you want this kind of passion, uh, then you will then you will you acknowledge the the great gift that this is. With the power that Jesus had while on earth, he forgave this woman of her sins. With the simple statement. Thy faith has, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus gave her hope. But he was not sending her back into the world in the sense of back to her previous life. He was sending her back to something priceless. She now was forgiven and possessed the promised peace of Jesus, the peace that passes all understanding. You know, we need to take a look at ourselves, too, and look at our service, look at our passion. Uh, if, if my religion has become nothing more than a couple of uh, worship assemblies uh, in which I, you know, uh, very casually mouth uh, songs and, you know, nothing really going on inside, we need to really uh, ask ourselves whether or not it could be said of me that I love him the more because I feel that he has forgiven the more. So don't be too quick to discount the idea that, you know, these zealous ones that we see among us who are really, really busy and really uh, seem hard at work and zealous, uh, there, there may be a, even a message for us today about what it is that drives such people to do such things. Okay, well now turn our attention to Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 which really is a synopsis of the second general tour of Galilee. Soon afterward Jesus began going around from one city and village to another proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary who was called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, 
and Susanna and many others who were contributing to, contributing to their support out of their private means. Jesus and his apostles went throughout the region of Galilee, teaching the good tidings of the kingdom of God. They were accompanied by a small band of women. Included in that group of women were Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons, Susanna and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who was Herod's steward. A steward would have been one who was in charge of the royal household. The last cause of verse 3 indicates certain things about these women and what they did. When the Lord and his apostles were not being cared for in the homes of friends and supporters, they had to have some means to buy food. It appears that this group of women may have performed that function, ministering unto them out of their own substance. But what a blessing to be able to do that. Yeah, you know, uh, I just noticed that Joanna was uh, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, uh, is that someone you would trust? <laughs> someone from Herod's household, basically a servant of Herod. And, you know, Jesus just seems to draw the most unlikely people. Of people that you might think, well, there's no way they would ever be interested. Or they have, they have surely a bias or just every reason in the world to reject him. That's, that's just the power of God's word to draw from the most unlikely source. And the phrase at the end of verse 3, they provided for him from their substance. I just thought that what a great privilege it would be to be able to have something that Jesus could make use of. And how quickly we would be to rush on the scene to provide for Jesus whatever he needs. And the truth of the matter is, he taught us that we, we still can provide. Because to the extent that we do it to the least of these... You did it to me. Yeah, I think we, we see here the the focus of, of service, of looking to serve. Um, and we, we see with these these uh, women here that they were they were looking to serve in ways that they could and, and, and did so. Um, and I think that's a certainly a thing for us is look in ways that we can we can serve what we can do for Jesus. Um, and these women do an excellent job in doing that. Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode. We appreciate so very much everyone who is listening. We encourage you, if you are enjoying the program and benefiting from it, to tell your friends that they might listen as well. We appreciate so much your spending the time with us. And until the next time, thanks for listening.